The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, marveling that this episode marks 100 shows. Listeners, we did it. We wouldn't have had five shows, let alone 100, without you and your interest. We wouldn't have had 100 shows were it not for a stupendous guest lineup. Sometimes our guests are famous. Sometimes they aren't. All the time, they are interesting, and it is my most ardent hope that they bring messages that are useful to you in your climate solutions advocacy and education journey. While we toyed with the idea of shooting for a big-name guest for today's show, in the end, we decided the past guests are the real stars. So, based on our team's internal feedback and our listeners' feedback, we present you with the best of the 99 previous episodes of the show, along with some commentary from one of our listeners and our teammates along the way. Over these episodes, we have had eight current or former members of Congress, three former or, cur- or current U.S. senators, two former governors, two mayors, and three local elected officials. That's 18 lawmakers, nearly one-fifth of our guests. Our very first lawmaker was former Florida Rep. Carlos Curbelo, and here he is talking about the connection between the environment and the economy. The environment and the economy are really the same issue, and that uh, a, a weekend environment uh, means a a weaker economy. Of course, I got starstruck for my first senator guest, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island. Here's what he had to say about bipartisanship. I think um, the most important thing that we can do, and um, I want to thank Bob for his work trying to make this happen, is to create an environment in which Republican senators can vote for climate legislation without fear. There's been enormous shift recently, and some of the strongest uh, deniers of climate change have backed off and indeed are supporting small climate bills. Um, there's a lot of bipartisan legislation that is happening on climate, but it's along the margins. And if you want to do something that's actually going to address the 1.5 or 2 degrees problem and keep us within those uh, safety bounds, then Republicans are going to need to feel safe doing that. Season one, we were babies. Well, our producer, Price Atkinson, is a seasoned comms dude who has done radio, so he jumped right in with our first episode in June 2020. But I didn't really know how to be a host, except for I tried to emulate the example set by my favorite podcasters. I've tried to be authentic, to let my sense of humor show, and mostly, I've tried to keep it interesting and entertaining. It's so funny to go back to this first season and hear my voice, hear how I question guests, or, as one listener pointed out, interrupt them sometimes. Hey, no one is perfect. Thanks for sticking it out and helping me grow. We've had a lot of firsts along the way. Mike Nelson was our first meteorologist, and I love his analogy for the difference between weather and climate change. 
Well, an analogy that I've developed over the years that seems to uh, work pretty well with people is, uh, you know, weather is, is a fast-changing event and climate is a long-term. So I like to say that weather is one play in a football game and climate is the history of the National Football League. It's actually easier to predict climate than it is to predict weather because weather is very fast changing and frequently big extremes from one day to the next with a storm system coming in. For instance, if you decided that you wanted to get away from the cold uh, in the month of February, would you go to Denver, Colorado or would you go to Miami, Florida? Obviously, you'd say, I'm going to go to Miami, Florida, because the climate of Miami indicates that the odds are very good that you would have warm weather in February, while Denver would be much colder. The weather of that one particular weekend that you might go to Florida may be that Denver has warm Chinook winds, and we have temperatures in the 60s, while a cold front has moved through Miami, and you have cloudy temperatures in the 50s. So that doesn't mean the climate of Miami has changed. It meant that you just were unlucky with the weather that you got when you went to Miami. One of the more thrilling guests to have on the show is John Cook, who founded the website and app Skeptical Science, which takes arguments people make for why climate change isn't real and debunks the myth with scientific evidence. I first discovered Skeptical Science after getting into something of a bar fight about whether climate change was real. My opponent had a ridiculous argument that I didn't know exactly how to refute. Then a scientist friend recommended Skeptical Science for any future skirmishes, so I've been a fan for a while. Here's John on what compelled him to create this useful resource. It actually began with having arguments with my father-in-law about climate change. <gasps> So, like we all have a cranky uncle in our family, right? Like mine was, well, I've, I've a number of them. My father, my father-in-law, my uncle, <laughs> basically any male in the older generation. And uh, he would, um, it was at a lunch, and he started throwing these arguments on why he didn't think climate change was real or human caused. And I went away afterwards and started researching his arguments and realized that there was just no science behind it. And so like any competitive son-in-law who wants to win an argument with his father-in-law, I started researching, started preparing for the next I love this. <laughs> but yeah, certainly I'm a super nerd and, and probably most people don't prepare for a family to get together by building a database of possible arguments that your father-in-law might <laughs> might present. Uh, but eventually I realized that other people might find this a useful resource as well, and that's when I launched Skeptical Science. Catherine Hayhill has thoughts on how to speak to skeptics, which she outlines in her book, Saving Us. Yes. So I was reading the, or I should say recording the audio version of Saving Us um, last August. And they didn't give me much notice. I literally had to do it in three days in a studio. It was just this this massive <laughs> campaign to get the whole book read in three days because I was reading the audiobook myself. And I was in a studio with a producer, a local producer, and we were doing it over the weekend, so we were the only two people there. And after I did the first three-hour session, I came out, and he had a very bemused look on his face, and he said, I didn't realize this book was about climate change. I have a few questions. Oh, and I said, I said, sure, we can talk about it over lunch. So, so we got our lunch and he started in with his questions 
And I also started in with my questions. And my questions were related to him. I wanted to know, you know, had he grown up here? How long had he lived here? What did he enjoy doing? And I started asking him how he had seen things changing. And pretty soon he was telling me about how he had grown up going fishing in the same place, but he saw how development was changing it, how the water was getting polluted, how it was a lot warmer than it used to be, and how that was affecting the fish species. He is an avid skier, and he was telling me how the ski season down here in the southern United States has gotten shorter and shorter, and it's much less predictable. Before we knew it, he was telling me how his life had been affected by climate change without realizing that that was what he was doing. Because the issue of climate change can feel so overwhelming that it's hard to even imagine how we can make a difference, I absorbed the book One Green Thing, written by my longtime friend and former colleague Heather White. In this book, she breaks down climate activism into a set of archetypes, and then each chapter is dedicated to how that particular archetype can best contribute to solving climate change based on your strengths and interests. Get a copy of her book to see what category you fall into. But the first is the adventurer. This is the person who's a hands-on learner, a risk risk taker. Mm -hmm. They can't really sit still. They're usually highly creative. So the adventurer type, I've especially when I did, and we worked together at National Wildlife yes. Federation and Environmental Education. A lot of environmental educators fit that type and that profile. Mm -hmm. um, the second is the beacon, and this is the person who's so focused on speaking truth to power and yes. justice. They're the yes. ones who are totally comfortable at the podium mm -hmm. with a bullhorn in front of a crowd. And they're really important because they're visionaries and they can, they're, they're not afraid of being alone. They can really help us drive the movement forward. My, my teenage daughter, my older daughter. I was just going to say your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then the third is the influencer mm -hmm. and the influencer is people, people, people. That's mm -hmm. the most important part of how they operate. And they're important because they can make these connections and think outside of the box in a way that many people can't. And that's really important. Right. Then there's the philanthropist, which is a really big name. And a lot of people think about the mo monopoly guy, you know, with yep. the monocle, yep. <laughs> but the philanthropist is the giver. This is the person who loves to volunteer, donate time, donate resources. And without the philanthropist, we don't have the resources, people or, or the you know, financial resources in order to make a movement work. And then there is the sage, which I think a lot of your listeners are probably kind of fall in this category. And the sage is focused on the spiritual connection between the environment and conservation. And it's a moral and ethical duty to protect what we have for future generations. And they're really important because they can bridge the political divide. I've made mention more than once that I myself am writing a book. Glacial, The Secret Politics of Climate Change won't be on a bookshelf near you until summer of 2024. But I've had the pleasure of interviewing some key players for this podcast who are part of the history on this issue. Here, Senator Joe Lieberman reflects upon working with my old boss, Senator John Chafee, who was pivotal in educating lawmakers on climate change, starting back in the 1980s. You know, in the Senate, you, you, then more absolutely than now, but still, uh, you needed 60 votes. Very rarely do you get 60 votes from one party. So I always try to work on a bipartisan basis, going back to the initial, which was quite Modest, which was a credit for early action bill with a great Senator Republican from <clears throat> Rhode Island, John Chafee. And we had trouble getting that going, but it was such a simple idea. Someday we said, uh, we're going to really, um, you know, begin to stimulate and reward businesses that 
change to reduce their uh, greenhouse gas climate change emissions and let's start a system now to incentivize them uh, by giving them uh, early credits that is when 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 a registry of credits is set up as it honestly will be and they're rewarded in some way we give them credit for what they do now uh, and we even had trouble with that yeah. uh, but that's I continue to pursue it um, unfortunately, without effect, but always without accomplishment as I wanted. And we can talk about why, but always with a Republican partner, Senator Chafee, uh, Senator McCain, Senator Warner, and then uh, Senator uh, Graham, Lindsey Graham and uh, John Kerry. Uh, and hopefully before long, before we all get swept up with rising tides or extreme weather, uh, Congress will do something about it. Speaking of reflecting, friend of the pod and former congressional staffer to our fearless leader, Bob Inglis, Katrina Rourke talked about helping craft his carbon tax bill back in 2009. Yeah, so I, Bob blindsided me a little bit, right? So I, I went up to work when I, when I thought would set, um, help Bob when he was ranking member on a subcommittee that oversaw the agency that I came from. Um, that part was going to be challenging, but um, felt in my wheelhouse. And a couple of weeks in, it was like, uh, oh, surprise. Um, Bob <laughs> is going to step out, work on carbon pricing, um, first Republican to write a carbon tax bill. Um, and lucky me, I had to figure out what that meant. Uh, so there wasn't a lot to draw on then, right? So we had the carbon price. That part was pretty straightforward. Um, but the what we did with the revenue was we bought down um, payroll taxes, which directly interacts with the social security program. And then we were going to introduce this novel concept called a border carbon adjustment, which at that point, the academic literature was Gary Hofbauer at the Peterson Institute had found a footnote in an annex document to a WTO agreement. And that was the justification for a border carbon adjustment. So we had to take that and turn it into legislative language. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> if it weren't for Bob, um, making sure that that made it in, it would have been really easy to write this bill without a border carbon adjustment component. Um, that's what Waxman Markey did because it was so hard. Uh, so that there is a literature on it now that the European Union is talking about it. Um, Bob couldn't have foreseen any of that. So right when we were, when we were hanging this on a footnote to an annex document, um, Bob had the, the vision to see that we couldn't price carbon without pricing it at the border, too. Um, and it's really changed how we talk about carbon policy. And this point feels like a good time to share with you Bob's favorite episode. Spoiler alert, he cannot possibly pick one. Chelsea Henderson and Price Atkinson have put me to an impossible task. They actually want me to tell you the favorite episode out of the 100 episodes of the podcast. That means one specially recognized friend and 99 others disappointed. I'm enough of a recovering politician to see the trap there. So um, I've uh, figured a way out of the trap, and that is to establish some categories. So in the category of friends of the show, friends of the eco-right, there's Katrina Rourke and Jim Tolbert and Rob Sisson and Larry Linenschmidt 
Nick Huey makes an appearance, Brian Webb, Rocky Barker, Tio Nelson, Ann Kelly, Quill Robinson, The Alexes, that's Alex Flint, Alex Bosmoski, and Alex Posner, and the amazing Casey Crane of Indiana. Okay, so those are the friends that you should listen to on the podcast. Then you got the folks that can help us with the science. That's the category uh, occupied by Catherine Hayhoe and Carrie Emanuel. Then for those that can provide the wisdom on how to get this done, you might listen to Governor Christy Todd Whitman and uh, a wonderful interview that Chelsea Henderson had with former Senator Joe Lieberman. As to communications, that category, you might want to listen to Marshall Shepard and Claudia McMurray. It's not exactly Claudia's business communications the way it is Marshall's, but Claudia has exactly the right feel, I think, for getting this done. Speaking of getting it done, in that category, it's clearly John Curtis, Congressman John Curtis of Utah, and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. Those two episodes are definitely worth listening to. And then finally, just a very, very, very special episode, I would say, is with Mayor Jim Brainerd, probably because he's the most featured person in all of Chelsea's reporting and week in review and in the podcast. She, he's our favorite mayor uh, of all time, I gotta believe. And part of that is because Jim Brainerd gave me an hour and a half driving tour of his city of Carmel, Indiana. We stopped not once. Um, he is the mayor of the roundabouts and a guy who over the last 20 years or so, has made a wonderful city um, and uh, created just really neat spaces for the people of Carmel, Indiana. Um, retiring now, so that's another reason to name him as a very special mayor. So there you have it, a whole list of uh, very special episodes, because all of them are special, all of them are above average, that's how we grade here at RepublicEN.org. And speaking of, here's a clip of one of Bob, Bob's favorites, our dear friend, Nick Huey. So I had somebody reach out from my days in college. Her name's Kelsey, and she's a, an amazing art director. And she said, hey, how can I help? I've got some free time, and I want to put it towards something I believe in. And so I said, sweet, let's start thinking of ideas. Um, and she came up with this idea of creating air fresheners that smell like the year 2050 if we don't act on climate, right? So we looked at, okay, what are going to, what will be the effects? How might the world smell different? And our whole thing was, you know, you can't see the future, but with these, you can smell it. And so we came up with three cents. Uh, there may be a fourth one dropped in the future. We'll see, depending <laughs> on, uh, you know, demand from the masses. But the three cents were bleached reef, uh, you know, playing off of reef, which is normally a scent, uh, burnt pine as opposed to just pine and smoggy city. And uh, they all smelled super nasty. It was a really fun little thing that we can send to, we still have some to send to members of Congress. It's fun ways to message. And, uh, the, the nice part is they're car air fresheners. So you can put them in your, you know, diesel powered car. And it's a nice little reminder that, Hey, that it'd be nice. It'd be nice if we could stop the emitting problem and eventually solve climate change so we don't have to smell this all the time. 
Speaking of friends, Price Atkinson was just poking fun at me for my insistence that I want to become friends with many of our guests, particularly the amazing women we have featured on the show. In that spirit, Sarah Davis from Clear Skies, Texas, definitely earned a five glasses of wine rating from me. Here, she's talking about the nascence of Clear Skies, Texas. We started very recently back in 2021, and we actually got our initial seed funding from the Mitchell Foundation. And they had uh, conducted some polling that showed that uh, they they polled Republicans and uh, likely Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the polling indicated that, in fact, conservative or self-identified Republican women uh, and uh, younger uh, Republicans we're actually very concerned about climate change and no one, at least that I can tell in Texas as a Republican are talking about climate change. In fact, it's like a four letter word in some ways in Texas. Um, I think all of the sort of stakeholder groups dealing with the climate or the environment in general in Texas, at least are totally dominated by the left and so there has not been any space uh, for conservatives or Republicans um, to 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 navigate and feel even comfortable talking about climate change or expressing their concerns about climate change. And so that's kind of how we came to be. Um, so we really wanted to put together some very notable, powerful Republican women um, behind this, you know, issue uh, because we want you know, Republicans to basically wake up other Republicans yeah. and wake up. And this is not a, this is not a single party issue. Right. This is an issue that affects all of us. And we have to come up with solutions. We can't just bury our head in the sand. And so that's kind of what we're about. Friends, listeners, it wouldn't be a true wrap up if I didn't include words from our favorite mayor, Jim Brainerd from Carmel, Indiana, here talking about roundabouts. Pro tip, do not call them rotaries. Safety is number one, and that is an 80% reduction in injury accidents roughly across the United States and Europe. Uh, our uh, U.S. average for fatalities per 100,000 people is about 12 per year. Uh, in Carmel, our five-year trailing average is two, and none of those in the last uh, five years have been at an intersection. So safety is number one. Number two is cost. Traffic lights cost a lot of money, Three, you know, 300000 plus you got to replace year plus there's now there's some cost of landscape in the middle or putting public art in the middle of a roundabout as well. Or switching out a stoplight about roundabout there's a lot of cost there. But if you're four way stop and you have the choice of a stoplight or a roundabout, the roundabout's always going to be less expensive. Um then we get to the environmental the light thread and you're sitting there burning gas. And and that's what the roundabout avoids. We we reduce um emissions and fuel costs. The public art engineer estimated that uh, at $2 a gallon, uh, we're saving between 4 and $5 million on average per roundabout per year for the public. Wow. So I mean, that's just a, that's a, that's a side benefit I hadn't thought but of. It's, yeah. but, it's a, but it saves people a lot of money, and that's what government should should be doing. Uh, but and, and then we save tons of carbon per year, too, because not only you're not idling, but even more importantly, if you remember physics class, and remember the law of momentum. It takes more energy to go from 0 to 15 than it does from 15 to 30 miles per hour. And and so, most of the time, occasionally you stop at the roundabout, it's busy, rush hour, 
somebody else to go through. But most of the time, you don't stop. You just slow down. Uh, and, it, and speed is why it's so much safer, too. But you're going at a slower speed. You don't burn as much fuel. You're not accelerating from zero to Turning to our listeners, I got this email from Roger Ingersoll, one of our members who is conducting outreach to those of the Catholic faith. He didn't send me a voice memo, so I'm going to read the email he sent to me. I'm a conservative who, like Republic EN, supports market-driven solutions. I've been trying via presentations and conferences to reach Catholics through the lens of our shared faith. It's this quote from Wisconsin priest Eugene Posternich that sums up the moral imperative nicely. And here's the quote. Our future is bound collectively to the health of the planet. We are at a decisive moment for realigning our economy toward a moral vision for society. This requires, in the words of Pope Francis, the moral courage to end our superfluous and destructive goals and activities and to cultivate values, connections, and activities that are life-giving. With that, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this recap. We intentionally kept Season 5 clips out of this episode because we will have a Best of Season 5 coming soon in December. So stay tuned for my wrap-up with producer Price Atkinson. Price, happy birthday! (laughs) Happy one, happy one hundredth. I don't think I've ever said that to anybody. One hundred birthday. Well, my grandma did turn a hundred, so I did wish her a hundredth happy hundredth birthday before she died. But a hundred episodes—that's epic. I'm really proud of us. I'm proud of you. I'm not proud of me. I'm proud of uh, you, dude. I'm proud of you. We wouldn't have a show if you didn't expertly produce it week after week. So. Um, it would just be this recording in the cloud somewhere without any of the polish and shine. No, you have come a long way. I've been doing audio and kind of self-taught on the radio and done some radio podcast stuff before, but you jumped into this as a excited, you know, wannabe podcaster and you're not wannabe anymore. You are totally full-fledged 100 episodes. You got your podcast card in that wallet. Okay, so you said last week that you wanted to make me cry, and you just did. <laughs> Look, can you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I hadn't. I hadn't even started yet. You want me to lay it oh, on? God, you hadn't even. I hadn't even begun. <laughs> Let the flowers will be the door. There should be a knock on the door any second now. The flowers <laughs> will be delivered. That's when the the tears can really flow because I I am really proud of you. You really have come long way because you know, it we had... was interesting to listen to some of those or you know to, in compiling this episode listeners we went back and listened <clears> to some of the early seasons and as i mentioned in the intro segment we did intentionally did not include anyone from season five because those voices are fresh in your ear and we don't want to spoil the best of season five wrap-up that's coming your way um before the holidays in december so going back just it's like when you listen to recordings of your kids from years ago and like, man, she sounded like a baby, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how I felt listening to some of those early episodes, especially before I got a good mic. <laughs> well, it, it the biggest thing is just it's it, it just flows easier. It's just, a, you know, unintentionally more polished just because you're more comfortable doing it. So, you know, at first when we were kind of navigating our way, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to, you know, feel the way through the forest. But now... You know, we could run through the forest any day, any time, day or night. So, and that's what that's you've right. done. It's that's just, right. it's smoother. Right. 
It's smoother. It's I remember simpler, in easier. the beginning, if we, sorry to interrupt, but if we had a guest who maybe wasn't as loquacious as <clears throat> I was expecting, mm-hmm. I felt all this pressure. So I really worked hard in the beginning to prepare a lot of follow-up questions or probing questions just to kind of keep the conversation flowing Mm -hmm. and oddly needed those for the people you wouldn't expect to need them for. But now I still do that and I rarely ever need them because I feel like something is a little bit more natural. It's, I mean, we obviously have amazing guests, but, um, and they get credit for (laughs) making my job easier, but yeah, no, it's been a learning experience. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to the next 100. Me too. Me too. Well, I'm looking forward to the next episode, uh, which we will return to normal. We will move out of celebration yes. mode, and I'm, yes. I know you're looking forward to a trip abroad. So I don't want to keep you from that I a whole am. lot longer. Yes. Well, you know, I'm so excited to get to go see my son in Germany and let him take me around and uh, he's in Freiburg and, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like a cute little town from the pictures I've seen on the internet. I just want to eat a lot and have some German beer and relax with my kid. And then I'll be back. And Mm -hmm. the day I get back, actually, Sean Sullivan, the executive director of the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council will be in your ears. So I know we're hitting you all over the head with Florida, but he has some really important things to say about the work that the planning commission, the regional planning commission does to ensure that the 3.8 million people who live in the Tampa Bay kind of greater region are prepared and safe from future storms. So um, he's a really interesting fella. He's actually a Bostonian. You know me, I'm a sucker for a Boston accent. So uh, we really hit it off and I can't wait to bring that voice to our listeners. Well, I'm excited for that one. I won't keep you any longer. Won't delay your schnitzel versed, um, your <laughs> Oktoberfest beers. Although October's come and gone, I know there'll still be uh, a plenty there in Germany. So have a safe trip, and also happy birthday! Fantastic job, and thank you also to our listeners for uh, keeping us going for a magic number one hundred. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.